So it's hard enough to be a marketer even when things outside of your control are going well. It becomes much harder when there are entire shifts happening in the world that negatively change buying behavior. But it doesn't have to be all doom and gloom. There are some steps marketers can take to help them better weather these kinds of storms. And in fact, many companies will even come out ahead. Demand Gen U is officially in session. Let's do it. Alrighty, well, this should be a good episode and it's not just because of the video clip that you shared to make sure that we could hear it come through on Riverside, but it's super timely, unfortunately, very relevant right now and something I know that you've had a lot of experience working through and then more recently I have as well. Yep, um, this this thing called a looming recession or a looming downturn in the economy or whatever people are calling it these days. Um, yeah, we seem to be entering one of these, bouncing off the surface, scratching the surface, you know, I don't know. But we're definitely seeing companies make changes and, you know, things are definitely shifting. And so that's the world we're living in. And I think before we jump into it, econ was not my strong suit way back when in college. So I think you're going to give us a quick econ lesson, right? I'll try. But yeah, I, I mean... I yeah, struggled it was, in econ. <laughs> it, was too, it was too boring for me. I wanted to. I wanted to get it. Honestly, like I wanted to get oh, it. Oh no, I did too. Because I was like, man, this kind of like I would really love to know how this all works. You know what I mean? Like printing money and all that. But like I was, oh, it, it's it's complicated. So and this is going to be like I'm going to say some things here, and I don't even really know what they mean. So like, <laughs> so we'll see. So you know, people often ask like, okay, everyone's like. We're reading this stuff, we're in a recession, a downturning economy, but like, what is it and how do we know? You know, and so I, I did a little research. I mean, there's some things that I see, you know, just like the stock market, for example, like everybody can kind of see that. Um, it's been, you know, kind of in the tank lately, major indices are down by like 20% or more. Um, we've got this inflation thing, you know, that I, again, I don't get it. I don't know how it works, <laughs> but uh Things that's not, cost that's more. That's not why you're here. That's not why you're no. here for this podcast. Yeah, thank God. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, things cost more somehow. You know, it's like I don't know why they cost more, but they do. Um, so you got inflation that's like higher than it's been, I think, in like 40 years. And then like my little, I don't know, unique. I don't know if it's unique. It's not unique. My thing is like when we first got into the pandemic. And everyone was like, oh, my God, you know, everything went down. And but then all of a sudden, like everyone was doing great. Nobody was working, but everyone was doing great somehow. You know what I mean? Like the stock market was going up. Everyone was taking their stimulus checks and putting it into GameStop and like making a bunch of money. And like it was it felt like how is this possible to me anyway? To me, it was like, how is this all possible given what's going on? Like people aren't working, you know, budgets are cut, etc." And so I feel like also part of what we're seeing now is like, okay, we're healthier as a, as a people, you know, so like, and now maybe like what the government did in some of the COVID stuff, like maybe we're dealing with it now, you know, maybe that's some of the kicking the can of the, again, I have no idea what I'm talking about, but I think that sounds to me kind of, kind of reasonable. I think it sounded true with the exception of you saying making money off of GameStop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but technically, so there is a technical definition for a recession, and it is two consecutive quarters with negative trending GDP. 
which is gross domestic product, which again, I had to look at what that is. And it's basically like the value of all of the finished goods produced by a nation, essentially. Um, and if that goes down two consecutive quarters, I guess that's the technical like definition of like, okay, you're in a recession. And I don't know if we're at that or if we're like coming up against the second quarter or what, but so that's kind of like, you know, those are the technical definitions. And I think that's what people are seeing, um, when they're starting to say like, we're in this recession or economy or whatever. So I almost feel like how they fact check debates. We need somebody to fact check everything that you said. Uh, yes. But again, that's not why you're here for this podcast. Why you're here to listen to this podcast is why does all of what you said matter for B2B marketers? Yeah, it'd be hilarious if everything I said was just a complete <laughs> Like Everyone's like nodding their heads like, oh, yeah, that sounds right. It's completely wrong. You know, I hopefully, hopefully it's not. But, um, yeah, so, you know. Why does it matter? You know, so in a recession, here's what's going on. Like the economy's struggling. People have less, you know, businesses are selling less stuff, which then they're selling less stuff. So then they're laying people off. And then those layoffs mean people have less money to spend. So they're buying fewer goods and people are producing fewer. You know what I mean? And so like, it feels like it's kind of this cyclical thing. Um, and... And one more thing to keep in mind, too, because this goes to like why it matters. But recessions usually only last like between 11 to 18 months. And so that's, I think, an important thing to note because it's not like forever. And it's not like it's no end in sight. Like we know that these things last about like the longest is about 18 months. There have been a couple that have lasted longer, but that's the average. So like, OK, I got a year and a half, you know, basically to at the at the worst to figure this out, you know what I mean, and to last. And so I think. Those are just kind of the last couple things. And then why that all matters is because, unfortunately, marketing is usually one of the first areas where companies like leadership is trying to make cuts, um, cuts to budgets, resources. Um, and why do you and, think that's the case? Well, there's like, a lot. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of reasons um, for this. But I think the main, the majority, the main reason and it just makes sense, is if you can't show clearly how the marketing you're doing is creating more sales than if you were doing no marketing at all. And that's the general. There's a lot of other reasons that go along with it, but that's the main one. Because if you think about it, companies are making decisions, right, with budgets. So if they're looking at, oh, yeah, I see this $10,000 of spend turned into $12,000 of revenue. You think they're going to cut that? Probably not, because it looks like a, you know, it looks like a profit center. It looks like a way of making money. And so um, there's a lot of reasons, but that's the main one. You know, if you can't clearly, and it's not like this shell game of, you know, influence and engagement, you know. So if you can't clearly show that you're bringing new money to the table, you know, I think that's that's why. And most, and honestly, unfortunately, most marketers aren't doing that today. They're not showing that, that clear, that clear line. Yeah. I mean, uh, I hate to make a, like a generalist like statement, but the best marketers can do that and can continue to do that during a recession like this. And I think it opens up in some ways, the marketers who just aren't able to do that and kind of puts a target on their back too. Yeah. And the, the reality is, 
like if you're already a good data-driven marketer, running a good data-driven marketing organization, you actually don't change much. And that's kind of part of what we'll talk about. You won't, you don't actually change much of how you operate. Um, going into a recession, leaving a recession, just like, because you've, you're running a process that the process itself tells you when you need to change, you know what I mean? And so, and we'll, we'll get into some of that, um, as well, like in, in our, in our recommendations. Um, but let me ask you, I got, I got a question for you. Yep. So, um, you were, you were not here when the pandemic started. You were at Fast Radius, uh, but begging you to hire your me. last company. Yeah. Um, what did you guys do? Like, so maybe talk a little bit. Of, talk a little about like when you guys saw that hit. What did your company? What did you guys do? Yeah. Yeah, I think um, you know, and it was a. I look back positively on that because it led me to here. So I can't really <laughs> say anything negative about that experience, but. We're going to be publishing content, not just with this episode, but we've got another blog coming out on this exact topic. And a few of the things uh, completely contradict our recommendations. The first one being we just slashed everything. And that came from our CFO at the top down. And we probably had our budget cut by, I would say, 70-ish percent. And the targets didn't really change. Uh, the unfortunate part was it was a additive manufacturing software startup. So think 3D printing, but for industrial companies, uh, the, the companies who we were selling to, manufacturing took a huge hit. So yeah. we were in a very difficult spot. And I think that's why they you know, cut as significantly as they did, uh, which created a whole slew of problems internally too. Yeah. Yeah. And... It wasn't that different here. So I started here full time, like day one of the pandemic. And I've talked about this story lots. You know, I had negotiated with Gil before I came on, like how much money I'd have to spend every month and what the goals would be. Um, and then, like, week one of my full time tenure, we had that conversation. It was like, you know, ah, got to cut your budget by 60%. And can you still make those same goals happen? Um, but, you know, that's, that's what got us into conversation ads, you know what I mean? And so like there was, and that's one of the interesting things in all this is, um, you know, adversity can really drive innovation and creativity. Um, and so, you know, marketers out there that are having budgets cut or resources like, trimmed back, um, your leadership knows that's happening. You know what I mean? And so like, they know, they don't expect, they don't expect you to be able to hit the same goals, but man, if you could, you know, um, that would be great. And I know we'll, we'll touch on that later too. Um, so yeah. And in other places, like other times that there, that there have been recessions and things like that, I, I was, you know, I was mostly just in ops leadership roles. And so I was told, you know, more what to do, you know, it's kind of handed like, okay, we need this, you know, we need, um, layoffs or, you know, whatever. And then I just kind of had to carry it out. I wasn't really part of the didn't feel like I was part of the decision-making process. Um, I just had to carry it out. Um, but you know, the places I've been, you know, all of them weathered the storms, um, and uh, fast radius, they, they made it out. Okay. Too. Yeah. 
Yeah, it took a little bit longer just because of like what was going on with manufacturing and supply chain. So we did go through some rounds of layoffs. It wasn't nearly as significant as what feels like is happening now. Uh, but the really the thing that saved them at the time was we were working on, it's kind of crazy, we were working on 3D printed ventilators and then 3D printed PPE. So they were oh. able to you know, try and make do with what they had with that demand. So yeah. that, without that, I don't know if they would have made it through successfully. Yeah, it seems like that was like squarely. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, wow, look at this pandemic, and we're actually making things that, that help. Yeah. It. yeah, it was like the um, most not that I'm not fulfilled in the work that I do here. But it was like the most fulfilled I've been in a while marketing yeah. PPE It was like, wow, right. well, this is actually doing something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, people want to buy it. And there's yeah. like, there's meaning to it. Yeah, yeah, it's out. yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's a great place to be marketing that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think like, and I was at big companies, you know what I mean? So like most of the big companies I was at, they had, they were run well enough where they didn't have like these huge pullbacks or budget cuts. It was usually like, hey, you know, let's pull back. Let's kind of see what's going to happen, but let's not make, you know, like huge shifts. Um, and let's basically like rely on our war chests a little bit, you know, like the cash we have in the bank to kind of get us through it. Um, and I think, you know, well-managed companies have that. Yeah, they, they know like recessions, how, how long they last, you know what I mean? And they kind of have that um, probably in scenarios that they're planning for. But um, but in the startup world, it's a lot different. You know, we're usually already running like super lean and we have like not uh, a ton of runway. I would say some startups. Yes, others, yes that's true. Yes. <laughs> that's absolutely true. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. The good ones. Yeah. Are already running. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. The, the bad ones. Actually, that's a double whammy on you. But um, yeah. Cool. So, um, so let's see. So, oh, and then before we get into like, uh, what to do, like a couple specific things, um, two, two things. First, let's talk about like the type of organization you're running where you probably don't need to make a lot of shift. So if you're already a data driven marketing organization, that should mean things like, um, you're experimenting a lot already. Uh, so you know that whatever's working today is probably not going to work forever and you're constantly testing. And even if things are working, you're like, great, that's working. Let me go find the next thing that's going to work. So you're, you're already like in this, uh, mode or mentality of like the testing and experimenting is important. Um, you are already able to track what you're doing down to revenue and the return that this, the activities that you're having the return that you get from the activities that you're doing. So you're, you're probably good at that. Um, and then ultimately you can use your own data. If you've got that feedback loop in a pretty real time, you know, fashion where you get the data, you know, fairly quickly after it happens, you can look at the data and make real time decisions. So like you can say to yourself, okay, we know our unit economics and we know our CAC needs to be whatever, you know, $2 or $75 or $8 million, whatever. And you just, you're just constantly looking at that in a relatively real-time fashion. And when it starts to go down past a certain threshold, you're like, okay, it's past our threshold of efficiencies where we're not comfortable. So what do we do? We either have to optimize and make it more efficient or we pull back spend, you know, or we, we experiment more. And so I think there's, hopefully a lot of organizations out there that are running like this and that 
they just use the way that they operate today to determine when they pull back or put more in. I think for me, what it comes down to is as a marketing leader, if you're the type of marketing leader that truly has a seat at the table prior to this, and you're able to talk with your CFO and your CEO and talk the same language and really show marketing's impact on pipeline and revenue, like that's the type of marketing org that is uh, positioned well to go through something like this. And that's a great point. If you're not, yeah, you have to have that already. Yeah, you can't just like all of a sudden a recession starts like, okay, hey, here's all the data we have. Like, you're right. That's a good point. Um, you have, yeah, that's the long game. You know what I mean? So like you've already been doing this for a while and the C-levels, the executives already trust you. You know what I mean? They trust you because they've seen you make shifts based on data. And so, yeah, yep. that's, a, that's a great point. You can't all of a sudden become data literate and just say like, all right, recession's <laughs> happening. We are, guess what? We're data driven now. It's kind of um, yeah, impressive yeah. if you can do that, but it's not the recommended route. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that actually might hurt you more. <laughs> yeah, that, help. Um, cool. And then there's a couple factors that if they're already in play with your product, that it, you know, a recession or something like that is just really going to put a magnifying glass on it. So, and we actually see this, unfortunately, with some of our customers, where if you, you don't have product market fit. So... You know, when I say with our customers, what we say is like, hey, you don't have product market fit. Hey, these are some decent ads. But if you already don't have fit, we're just going to amplify these ads. And like, you're going to just amplify the performance you've already been getting. Um, But, you know, if you really think about it from just a general perspective, it's like, okay, people with a low product market fit in a really booming economy, they can still somehow sometimes like squeak by because... People are looser with their pockets. They have more money to spend in their budget. So they're like, oh, I've got all my stuff covered here, my necessities. Let me go try this out. Or let me go try, you know, this tool out. Um, And, you know, but if you don't, you know, if you don't have that fit, it's just not, it's still not, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not going to work. And this, like this recession may just shine a light on it. The other one is like if you if it's like a nice to have product and I don't know how to define this you know but like if your product is going to be my follow up question but yeah like yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so if you are a must have product then like you should be okay right and maybe this is just reserved for I don't know the top ten percent of products I don't know but um, what would a nice to have be like I'm trying to think of like and now we run pretty pretty lean we're not too tool bloated but um, like, what could I get by without, you know, like, I, I mean, I think that's it. It's if this tool, let's just talk SaaS, if this tool was no longer being used at your company, would you still be able to function and do the work that you need to? And right. I think, yes, they're removing a tool like metadata, for example, you may have a ton more manual and repetitive work to do. Could you get by without it? Maybe not. Uh, we're seeing many of our customers, you know, come back and renew after, you know, they may have had outside factors, uh, that said they couldn't use metadata. So, yeah, I think it's more of a, can you show your impact? Can you show lift before and after using your product? And if you can't, then you kind of fall in that nice to have category. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm thinking it's like it's probably a lot of tools that like help you do your job. You know what I mean? Like they're the tool itself may not be doing something unique. It's just maybe helping you do your job a little bit better. Um, and if it's not a clear direct like, oh, this 
spending $5 on this tool made me $6, you know, then it's, 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 it's maybe a nice to have. Um, so maybe the must haves are the ones that actually do have maybe a clear line to that tier one goal of revenue, you know, a pipeline. Um, are probably the ones that are like must haves. And then they're like sales forces, you know, you're like, you gotta have, I mean, do you have to have a marketing automation platform? Uh, <laughs> it used to be maybe a must have. I, I was five years ago. I would have said absolutely today. I don't know if I'd feel as strongly about that, but yeah. 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 Salesforce kind of screwed everybody because they just came out with a, a post last night uh, that said they're showing no signs of slowing down at all. And Did they growing, really? Nice. Yeah, they're growing, like, I don't know, it's like 25, 30% quarter over quarter. Yeah. And yeah, we're fine. So you all should be too. Nice. Yeah. So we're fine. What's wrong with y'all? You know, yeah. like, I mean, yeah, that's, what are you doing that's, wrong? That's how I read it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I actually don't mind that kind of post because honestly, part of what, part of what I'm wondering is, are we, is this a self-fulfilling prophecy in some ways? Like, are enough people talking about it that they're just, it's just happening? You know what I mean? It's like, hey, and oh man, I saw, I was at dinner last week with uh, MH and uh, from Stack Moxie. And she showed me this email that one of her VCs sent. And oh my God, like, if you read it, you'd think, oh, we're literally, the world is, the world is, on its way out. Like Armageddon is happening. The second coming of Christ. <laughs> so, you know, it, I was like, and the way I read it in my mind was this goddamn guy is trying to create opportunity for himself. Like you got to ask yourself, the VC is telling you like doom and gloom and all this. What's the VC have in mind? Lower your valuation so I can get some of that stock at a lower cost, maybe, you know? So I, I asked myself, like, what the hell? And then I see some VCs that I'm like, yes. They're like, hey, guys, no, don't pull back. If you're good, this is the opportunity. This is where you make your, your name for yourself. And I'm like, that's, that's how I want to think about it. I want these VCs, like, telling me the world is collapsing and that they want to try and create opportunity for themselves to, like, buy more of my company or make me feel worse about myself and get a better deal. Like, fuck that. Um, so... VCs out there, if you're doing that, stop it. Um, don't. You're actually probably creating more problems, honestly, than you're helping. You're not helping. You're causing problems. Um, no VCs are listening to me, but I like to pretend <laughs> they are. <laughs> they sh- and they uh, should, because I don't know. I, I, I clearly don't know economics. <laughs> so I think you have a little clip to, to play before we get into the recommendations, no? Y- yes. So, you know, our first recommendation is don't freak out. So you don't want to freak out. And this helps understand a little bit why. (laughs) I love old school. Um, But that's exactly it. You know, like, so when we when I first started writing the blog post, when Oh, and there we go. It's now playing still on my. <laughs> Sorry, so just play while, while Jason's figuring it out, he showed us before we started recording, and I had no idea what clip that you had. So when I heard the first two or three words, because it's a pretty iconic clip, I was cracking up. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> it's exactly that's all I can think about, honestly. And now I got the landscaper coming by. Uh, it's literally whenever I whenever I say don't freak out, it's literally the only thing. It's the only clip I can think of in my head. It's like that one, and I just yeah. So I can't get Will Ferrell out of my head. But it's right. Like it's literally right. We keep your composure. You know, we don't need everybody freaking out out there um, because I think the freaking out 
actually, again, it adds to the panic or it adds to the, you know, it just fuels the negativity fire. Um, so yeah, don't freak out. And also like when you're freaking out, does anybody like make the best decisions, you know, when they're freaking out? No, absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) No, definitely not. You know, um, yeah, like if you're if you're in a life and death situation, you're up on a mountain, you're climbing a mountain, you lose your ropes. I don't even know. I'm, um, is it best to literally sit there and freak out, you know, or is it like, okay, I have no way to get down with this mountain. My ropes are gone. What do I do? You know, uh, I think it's definitely better to so not freak out. A little off script, but still on topic. Can you share as much as you're willing to share about some of the initial combos that you've had with Jim, our CFO, and just like the types of things that you're talking about? Maybe like what areas you're looking into? Because I think that would be helpful. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, and what I like about how, you know, we're doing scenario planning, right? Which I think is smart to do. Um, We're doing scenario planning so that we understand the changes that we would make before it's necessary to make them. And I think that's actually part of not freaking out, right? So if you're actually like, okay, things are okay right now. You know, we're not seeing signs of softening. Um, and if we're in this mode right now, we're, we don't have high anxiety about it. It's, that's the best time to make those plans. Cause then you're, you've got, you know, you're, you're clear headed. You're not blocked, you know, by like whatever is going on right now, or if everything is like really bad all of a sudden. And so scenario planning. So what we're doing is talking through things like, okay, um, what if we lower our, you know, lower our outlook for the year uh, in terms of like net new ARR um, by X amount, you know, marketing, what would you need? You know, how much could you cut um, to help, you know, to make that happen? And we are doing tops down, bottoms up, you know, which most people do anyway for for budgeting. Um, So I say what I think I'd need and then Basically, they tell me what they think, you know, they need me to cut and then try and meet somewhere in the middle. But what I like about how we're doing it is um, uh, we're going to do it more like, you know, we talked about a little bit earlier. We're going to look at numbers and then we're going to let the numbers tell us when marketing is no longer as efficient as we want it to be. So um, so an example scenario that could easily happen is we we do make some cuts in some areas but we don't pull back in marketing immediately. Um, and we keep the marketing going because we're pretty real time in our, you know, in like our conversion rates and stuff and our understanding and the feedback. So, um, so look at those early indicators, you know, and if those start to soften, what we'd be looking at would be a higher CPL and ours, the lead is a demo for us. So a higher cost per demo, we'd be looking at lower demo, uh, like meeting booked rates. We'd be looking at lower demo, like take rates and then lower meeting to opportunity rates. And those all happen usually within a week or two, you know, of, of the, of the like initial activity happening. So we should be able to move pretty quickly. Um, yeah. So you mentioned something in there that we haven't really talked about yet. Why do you think that the companies who don't make knee jerk reactions and, and cut marketing significantly, why do you think those companies position themselves well to like catapult out of this? Yeah, that's a good question. Because all of everyone around you is pulling back. So that's one of the reasons. So like everybody's around you is pulling back, which creates more space in the areas where you're advertising, for example. So LinkedIn, great. All my competitors are pulling back spend. 
that creates more space for me to get in front of people I haven't been able to get in front of and at a lower cost. So now there are chances, again, if I have product market fit and I'm not a nice to have, there are chances I actually do better. You know, like my marketing performance gets better in times like this. So there are chances that can happen. And like, that's, I'm always trying to, th I think that way, like, hey, we have a chance of actually making our performance better even. Let's see if we can do that. Um, yeah, now I forgot the specific question you asked. I just no, gave I an mean, answer. Well, well, you, I, I gave one answer. But. Yeah, well, no, it's just, I think oftentimes, like, if you just read everything that you're seeing in the news, you're, you know, being um, consumed by all of these cuts that are happening around you. And I think the marketers that try to prove why they shouldn't, cut things significantly and make knee-jerk reactions can weather this and then also position themselves really well coming out of it when people are ready to, you know, buy and buy nice to haves or, you know, gotta have tools. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That opportunity. Um, and you're right. Like it doesn't, it's not just marketing performance that might get better. You're actually, because you've had to like tighten things up, you also come out of it fairly, like ideally leaner and more efficient too. And so now you're, you're coming out, you have a better position and you're also now able to spend your money more efficiently. So then when the, when things start to come back up, it almost like exponentially, you know, works on the lift that you were able to create, if that makes sense. I, I don't know that, um, but like the changes you were able to make during that downturn yep. and get really efficient, they just get like, yeah. Yeah, they just grow when they come out and the like demand starts to happen again. That's what I was looking for, the demand. Um, so let's get into uh, the next recommendation around messaging. So you don't want to come across as being tone deaf or unaware as to what's going on. So how do you suggest people, you know, revisit their messaging? Yeah, and this, you know, like I'd put this one back on you, right, as our brand and, uh, and, and product marketing guy. But basically, like, Tone deaf, you know what I mean? Like I, that's the first place I would go is just make sure you're not, I mean, the pandemic was an easy one, you know, cause there was actually something going on and people sick and stuff like that. So like that recession, you know, similar. Um, but like if you're, if you're out there hawking Lambos and stacks of cash, you know, in your ads, like maybe that's not the right messaging. So it's like, you just want to do a first pass, you know, cause Longer term, and this is what I'd like you to talk about a little bit. Longer term, you may want to just look at shifting the messaging generally, but in a more thoughtful, you know, like way that might take a little bit more time. But that first pass is like, let's just make sure I'm not tone deaf and like making people upset with what I have out there that just doesn't match what everybody's dealing with. Yeah, I think for me, and this is something that we're really trying to do with some of the, the new campaigns and content ideas that have come up in the last week or so is just be transparent, be aware of what's going on, be open about it, don't hide from it, don't pretend that nothing is happening right now in the outside world. And I think just recognizing that and, and understanding how your audience is being impacted by this and just being very clear, <clears throat> it's not a rocket science like type concept just with them that, hey, I get what you're going through right now. I get that you probably had your budget cut by you know, 40, 50, 60%. And maybe your targets stayed the same. Maybe they were decreased a little bit, but if they weren't, here's how you know we metadata can help you hit your number doing X, Y, Z. So 
it's really just being aware of, of what's going on. It's not anything crazy. Just very few companies do it and they keep pretending that, hey, all is great right now. You know, don't worry about it. And that's not what people want to hear. Yeah. And <clears throat> hopefully your product that you're marketing is good in times of like a great economy and also equally as good in times of like a suffering economy. Um, and that's where like that messaging shift comes into play. It's like, okay, um, ours is easy. Cause like, oh, in times of good, great. Put more money in, get more leads, get more demos. You know what I mean? Like rising, you know, gets all the boats floating. In times of like pullback, we can pivot our messaging very easily to like, you can't waste a dollar of ad spend. You have to be as efficient as possible. You know, the platform works the same way, you know what I mean? But in times of good, it does something for you. And in times of like not so good, it's still doing, you know, something for you. And so hopefully you've got as the product you're marketing, you have that clear of a way, you know what I mean? To shift the messaging that still makes sense. Like the, I think you can hurt yourself if you try and shoehorn in messaging around a recession, if your product just has nothing to do with it, you know, like there's literally like, there's no change in it and you're trying to shoehorn it in. Like, I don't have a good example, but I'm sure there's tons out there. You could actually do yourself, I think a disservice. You could like hurt your brand if you do it that way. So first make sure that you actually can, you know, and it makes sense to consumers like, Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. I can see that. Yeah. I think there's two things that you'll start to see from us from how we change our messaging a bit to weather this. And the first is somewhat of what you mentioned being eliminating wasted ad spend because and we're not pitch slapping you here, but we're just showing you how, you know, the message is going to change a little bit. You don't have ad spend to waste right now because your budget has already been cut significantly. So really leaning into how we eliminate wasted ad spend. And then the second part is maybe you weren't on the hook for generating pipeline and revenue prior to this, but now more than ever, you're going to be expected to generate pipeline and revenue. So why wouldn't you use a tool that can help you do that during a time like this? Yeah, exactly. Yep. And yeah. And the more you can get people to understand, like, again, using this platform will save or make you like, it's really getting over that hump of whatever you're spending on it, you're going to make or save that or more, you know, and that's really that that's you know, part of also telling that clear ROI story, which we'll get into in a little bit too. Awesome. And then the next part here. So we talk about, you know, commitments and trying to not pull back on big commitments that you made. Talk me through that. Yeah. So, you know, it's really easy to use a downturn or anything going on in like the big environment as an excuse to not meet your commitments. Now, I'm not saying if you don't, that you, you know, if you don't meet your commitments that you should have been able to with that less budget and resources, no. But still thinking about them as commitments that you made and the resources and budget you have is just like one of the levers you have to try and meet those commitments. So if I'm in leadership and I've got two marketing leaders and one is like, Okay, you know, downturn in economy, I see our numbers are lower, I got less budget, so this is this is all I can do with that budget. And the other marketer is like, oh, okay, I see downturn in economy, We're, I have a lower budget, but oh man, I'm going to try and make this work still. I'm going to still try and hit my goals that we set up. Which marketer, which of those two marketers do you think the leader is going to want to, you know, work for them, right? Yeah, it should be pretty clear. Um, and so 
And the thing is, you got to remember, no one is expecting you to hit those numbers. So it's almost like a free pass. You know, it's almost, I, I think of it as like a free pass. I'm like, oh shit, it's a free pass. I can still say, ah, oh, we're going to try and hit this and I can do different and cr- not maybe crazy, not crazy, but you know, just different and try new things. And like, I get a chance to try all these things that maybe I didn't get to, you know, to try before. Um, and then even if you don't hit the original number, chances are you probably got past where you you know, your bottoms up where you would have said you would have gotten. So you probably actually did better than, you know, the expectation is. You didn't hit those goals, but now all those leaders are like, that person has the right mentality. They're thinking about this like a company builder, not an employee. And I think that just puts you in really, really good light. Yeah, I think the other thing that I would add is during a time like this, you know, maybe you overcommitted to a bunch of things, but if you look back at all of those commitments, just reprioritizing the things that actually matter will help get you to your targets and maybe deprioritizing and, and cutting some of the things that, you know, are busy work and are, are nice, but they're not going to help you get there and using it as a way to just get you and your team to focus more because marketers are guilty of trying to do way too much. I know we do that too. So it, it can help you prioritize a bit and just keep you focused on the things that matter. Yep. hundred percent. Um, yeah, I mean, that is, and that's nice too, right? So as a marketer, that's like, should be welcomed. Oh, you mean I get to like focus on just, you know, a couple things instead of trying to do all these things. And so, um, there's a lot of opportunity, you know, in it and ways of looking at it positively. Now, of course, if you aren't in a data-driven marketing org and you're, you know, yeah, be worried, (laughs) you know, but maybe then use this as a function to say like, listen, we have to be data-driven. Like, I don't want to leave our employment up to the fact that we can't tell that story of like the, 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 you know, the demand that we're driving. So like, if anything, use this as a forcing function to talk to your marketing leader, or if you're a marketing leader, use this as a forcing function. I need to protect my department, you know, and I need to, I need to protect the livelihoods of the people I've working for me. The best way to do that is if I can make sure there's no question as you know, to like the benefit that the company is getting from marketing, uh, and that it is a profit center, um, or at the very least, it breaks even. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, uh, please, you know, use this as as a forcing function if you're not already one of these data driven marketing orgs. I dig it. Well, I think we are right at time right now, so we will be publishing this, and then we'll also have another blog post that expands on this too. So we have more content coming, and then you'll see a few campaigns from us, like we talked about on this episode of DGU. So this is a good one. Yeah, nobody freak out. Everyone, <laughs> keep your composure. <laughs> I can't wait to turn that into a social clip. We'll see you next week. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Demand Gen U. If you want to hear more, make sure to subscribe to get future episodes. You can also submit a specific topic you want us to talk about by DMing us on LinkedIn. If you like the show or want to share feedback, please leave us a review. It'll help us keep improving and get the word out to other marketers just like you. This podcast is brought to you by Metadata, the first demand generation platform that launches paid campaigns that self-optimize to revenue. If you're looking for a tool that makes it easier for you to build audiences, launch paid campaigns, and experiment at scale, you'll love Metadata. B2B marketers at Zoom, Okta, and ThoughtSpot use Metadata to automate the time-consuming parts of running paid campaigns so they can focus on the things that matter.